This is the second day of this April 2021 five-day online session. We'll return to our text from yesterday, uh, reading from the book The Practice of Zen by C.C. Chang. And uh, we were in a section where uh, there are several stories uh, from Chinese masters from, uh, it seems, about the year 1200 or somewhere. Oh yeah, here it is, 1264 for this one. This this master's name is uh, Meng, Meng Shan. And uh, um, here's how it begins. When I was 20 years old, I already knew of this matter. This matter, the the translator puts in in brackets Zen. From that time on until I was 32, I trained with some 18 elders to learn how actually to practice Zen. Seems like a long time. 12 years, not long at all to learn this practice. What we're doing is we're learning the nature of the mind. Sometimes we say in Zen, uh, Zen is not about learning, it's about unlearning, getting rid of stuff we've piled up in the mind, stuff we've, we've acquired that causes us suffering and that's true but there's also a learning curve and uh, in, in how how to do the method and 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 what it really comes down to is learning to let go learning to let go of thoughts once we notice them clogging up the mind The learning, the, the letting go doesn't have to be something in itself. The, the letting go happens through our returning to the practice we're working on, the breath, the koan. In the case of shikantaza, uh, just not dwelling in the thoughts when we notice them. We don't have to make a special thing out of letting go. The letting go is what happens when we return to the practice. It's one-stop shopping. Just that. Just moo. Just who. Just what. Just... And to the degree that we can absorb ourselves in that practice that we're working on, that's where the letting go happens. Again, the, the learning is uh, that there's nothing for us in our thoughts. When we're doing zazen, there's nothing, there, there's nothing for us there. Yes, when we have to solve problems, uh, problems that require the, the discriminating mind, 
analytical work we have to do. Yes, there's that's the, the the faculty of thinking that we are endowed with as human beings. But uh, thinking is not going to resolve a koan. Thinking is not going to resolve the matter of life and death. For that only non-thinking, detachment from thoughts, unplugging from the thinking mind, that's what's required. When we come to Zen practice, uh, we're already, well, I think at least in our late teens or, or, or much later. And by then, we've, been, we've spent an awful, we've spent years and years and years uh, using this discursive mind to, to try to figure things out and solve problems. So there's a, there's a habit that has uh, built up of us just going there going back to the thinking mind, going back to dividing, analyzing. And so it's, it's no simple thing to leave it alone, that, that faculty, and uh, just keep going, going back to this realm of no mind, not thinking mind, but no mind. And that's what each of these practices, breath and call on and so forth, that's, that's what each of them is bringing uh, back to us, is this, this realm of, of uh, non-discrimination. So yeah, so um, from age 20 to 32, 12 years, he says, uh, uh, learning how to actually practice Zen. Yeah, it's not bad, 12 years. And he says, nevertheless... I received no clear-cut teaching from them. That's interesting, too. That's old school. Uh, just throw someone in the zendo and let them uh, find out for themselves what works and what doesn't work. It seems it was quite common when someone received a koan just to, just to be given the koan and say, all right, you're on your own. And if, if you have strong enough faith and persistence, that's all you really need. You're going to find out what works and what doesn't work just through trial and error. It's just arguably the best way to really learn this practice. But there's also a place for offering instructions, things that the teacher and many other people have learned what works and what doesn't work. So he did it the old way, just sink or swim in a way. So no clear-cut teaching Later, he said, later I trained with the elder of Wanshan. Shan means uh, monas uh, uh, mountain. Uh, I studied, trained with the elder of Wanshan who taught me to uh, work on 
the Wu word. Again, Wu is the original Chinese. Uh, the Japanese Japanized it to Mu. In doing so, he said that one should, throughout the 12 periods of a day, a period uh, in, in, in the East Asian monasteries, the period was a two-hour block. So throughout the 24 hours of the day, be ever alert like a cat waiting to catch a mouse or like a hen intent on hatching an egg, never letting up on the task. Boy, that's uh, so easy to write that out in a, in a sentence, but oh, to be ever alert. How, how else can you be alert but to be free of thoughts? Those who are in high-level sports know that thoughts don't help you either in, their, in those endeavors. You have to be free of thought. Free of thought means responsive. Ready like a drawn bow, as in Zen bow, our, our periodical. never letting up on the task. But we do let up, don't we, from time to time. We get tired. We get maybe discouraged from time to time and we let up. And then, if our affinity with this practice is strong enough, we'll renew our efforts. We'll get back to it. Until one is fully and thoroughly enlightened, he should keep on working uninterruptedly like a mouse gnawing at a coffin. Yeah. Animals. They, they are so persistent. They will usually find a way. What, I, what I've come to recognize, not only in Rochester, but uh, some other cities I've been, uh, is, is how the squirrels find a way to gnaw through the lid of a trash, one of these big trash bins that you roll out uh, for collection is pretty heavy, thick plastic. But they find a way in, often. One reason they can do that is they're not thinking about progress. They're not thinking, gee, how much, how wonder how long this will take. They have such simple little brains that they just set themselves to
to this task and they just persevere at it. They also have nothing in the mind about success or failure. Those are the, the concepts that the devil, those of us who practice Zen, they're free of that. Success, failure, fast, slow, they just gnaw. We just moo. We just question what is it? Who is it? He continues. If one can keep practicing in such a manner, in time he will definitely discover the truth. Following these instructions, I meditated and contemplated diligently day and night for 18 days. Then, while I was drinking a cup of tea, I suddenly understood the purport of Buddha's holding up the flower and of Mahakashapa's smile to him. This is uh, became a koan. It's uh, part of the Mumonkan. Most of you have heard of this, where a big assembly of monks uh, gathered before the Buddha for his teaching, and all he did was just hold up a flower in, in his hand. Some say he twirled it a little bit and smiled saying nothing. And the whole assembly of monks, only Mahakashapa smiled back with understanding. Suddenly I understood the meaning of this. He says, delight overwhelmed me. I questioned three or four elders about my experience, but they said nothing. Several of the elders told me to identify my experience with the ocean seal samadhi and to disregard all else. Ocean seal samadhi be some profound state of absorption and to disregard all else. Their advice led me to an easy confidence in myself. So let us here point out that samadhi, even ocean seal samadhi, uh, is not the same as awakening. We can we can dwell in a samadhi for the longest time, and it doesn't convert, doesn't turn about into an awakening experience. But it's it is the precondition. It's really the most we can do uh, is is reach samadhi. The deeper, the better. And then the rest, after the samadhi, the rest is really out of our hands because we, I, am not doing it. We're gone when we're in samadhi. There's no self there. We're beyond it. And then it's beyond our beyond us. It's, it's out of our hands. 
and it's just a, it's just a, a question of uh, how ripe our karma is, whether or not that that flips into an awakening experience. So it sounds like there was some consensus among these teachers, these elder teachers, saying uh, it's okay, it's an ocean seal samadhi. That's pretty good, all right, but forget about it. That's, that's good advice. Every step of the way on this endless journey we call practice, every step of the way we're, we're called upon to forget about it, whatever happens to us. Let it go. There it is again. Let it go. It's very hard to do when you have an experience like that of samadhi where it's just something you want to savor uh, without end. Uh, and we tend to cling to such experiences. But uh, it's not the nature of life. It, it, there's nothing to, to be gained through trying to cling to what is ephemeral, what is passing all the time. So their advice led me to an easy confidence in myself. Two years after this, uh, in the month of July, in 1264, I contracted dysentery in, at Chongqing in Sichuan province. Maybe from that hot Sichuan food he was eating. My bowels moved a hundred times a day and brought me to the brink of death. All my former understanding became useless and the so-called ocean seal samadhi did not help me in the least. I had a body, but I could not move. I possessed a mouth, but I could not speak. I lay down just waiting for death. All the karmas and other fearful hallucinations appeared simultaneously before me. Frightened, puzzled, and lost, I felt crushed, annihilated under pressures and miseries. Yeah, I, this, this especially, this comment, the so-called Ocean Seal Samadhi did not help me in the least. Because it's, it's something in the past. It, 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 actually, it's just as much in the present. This is the nature of our mind. This this mind at rest, this uh, no mind beyond thought, that is truly the nature of the mind. But, uh, but as an experience that happened under certain conditions last week or a year ago, then it's not, it's not really going to help us uh, when we're at the brink of death like this, unless we can bring it forth again. 
that state of, of magnificent detachment that is samadhi. This uh, sentence, all the, all the karmas and other fearful hallucinations appeared simultaneously before me. That's a description uh, that is used with respect to the bardo after death, the, the intermediary state between death and rebirth. That line, uh, um, I, I am, I'm alone with all of my karma, something like that, that we say in the uh, memorial, the prayer of the memorial service. He has been, uh, he's, yeah, that's the idea anyway. With the thought of approaching death before me, I forced myself to make a will and so disposed of all my worldly affairs. This accomplished, I slowly pulled myself up, burned a full censer of incense, and seated myself steadily on a high seat. There I prayed silently to the three precious ones, I guess that would be uh, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and the gods in the heavens, and there's no, uh, no atheists in foxholes, uh, the gods in the heavens, repenting before them of all the harmful deeds I had committed in life. It's a, it's a, a fine thing to do when we're facing death, and to the, especially to the, the extent that we feel uh, burdened by the regrets, our remorse of ways that we have caused harm, the, way we've, the ways we've hurt people, is repentance be so cleansing, so liberating. We don't have to wait till we're on our deathbed. I strongly encourage anyone who uh, is afflicted with with guilt about something you've you've done in the past uh, to try this, uh, to do the, the repentance verse. All harmful actions committed by me since time immemorial stemming from greed, anger, and delusion, arising from body, speech, and mind, I now repent having committed. And do it three times, ten times, a hundred times. I did this in my first year of Zen practice. I had led such a reckless, un, uncaring life as a college student and uh, getting into Sashin, I was just aghast hearing things I'd said, uh, done, things I'd done, and this really helped, helped me get beyond it. I then made my last petition. If my life is about to end, I wish through the power of prajna, wisdom, and a sober state of mind that I may be reborn in a favorable place wherein I may become a monk at an early age. 
not just a monk, but a monk at an early age. If by chance I recover from this sickness, I will renounce the world, become a monk, and strive to bring enlightenment to young Dharma practitioners everywhere. Having made this vow, I then took up the Wu word, Mu, and observed it inwardly. Now this is the best part. Before long, my bowels rolled and twisted a number of times, but I ignored them. After I had sat for a long while, I felt my eyelids become fixed steadfastly. That's a... It sounds like slipping into a deep state of concentration. Again, a long period of time elapsed. And uh, we can only wonder what that means, a long period of time. Hours, days, in which I did not feel the presence of my body at all. There was nothing but the koan continuously presenting itself in my mind. It was not until night that I rose from my seat. Okay, so it would have been hours. I had half recovered from my illness. I sat again and meditated until after midnight. By then my recovery was complete. Both my body and my mind felt comfortable and light. Anyone who can believe this story um, would would not be able to dismiss the power of the mind, the way we use the mind, our attention, our concentration, would not be able to dismiss that as a major factor toward healing. And there, there are other such stories from... Uh, from China, Korea, Japan, these monks with these, these uh, colossal faith in, in the practice, the method, who just poured everything into it, out of desperation, admittedly, when they, as a last resort. Sometimes I say to people who are, who are reporting this problem or that problem. I said, well, as a last resort, try your practice. Try doing the koan or the breath single-mindedly. By then, my recovery was complete. I don't find this hard to believe. Not common, right? Not common. But there it is. Body and mind are so intermeshed. How can you really ultimately separate them? Just really just two different words, two different sides of this one reality. There's a line in the Mumonkan, I don't remember which koan, a verse where Mumon says, rather than giving relief to the body, give relief to the mind. 
I had my own small experience, uh, similar but 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 much smaller experience where I was tormented by physical pain in Sashin and uh, while working on Mu, uh, it just was so completely distracting and oppressive and uh, I, I, one feature of it was it kept I, I kept being pulled over so that I was listing to one side I later understood that it was some kind of a, a tension uh, deep in the groin area or the, what the, near the waist um, I was, I was just trying too hard. I was too greedy for Kensho. And so I was all ball of tension. And, and I just every every 10 seconds, I would be tipped over. And it was my, that area was just on fire with pain. And and I, I just was at my wits end and I, of, of correcting myself over and over again and having the monitors correct me every time they came by, straightening me up. And I finally, again, out of desperation, just said, okay, okay, have it your way. I'll do moo down with my, with my whole torso tipped way down. And I can live with that as long as I'm, I have only moo in the mind. And the most amazing thing happened when I did that when I finally made that commitment, commitment, only moo. Then I straightened up. I found myself just having straightened up. What a powerful, confirming experience that is. Confirming the power of commitment. That's that's really what uh, this Mengshan found in a far more dramatic and significant way. He continues. In August, I went to Changning and joined the assembly of monks. There I remained in the monastery for one year. Then I started my pilgrimage. On this journey, I cooked my own food. Only then did I realize that the Zen work should be worked out at one stretch. It should never be interrupted. This is uh, a little puzzling, not sure what the connection is, cooking his own food, should never be interrupted, but let's just move on. Later, I stayed at the Yellow Dragon Monastery. When I sat in meditation the first time, I became drowsy, but I alerted myself and overcame it. I felt drowsy a second time and alerted myself again to overcome it. When the drowsiness came for the third time, I felt very, very sleepy indeed. He's probably, I, w I wouldn't be surprised if he was going without sleep night after night. Then I got down and prostrated myself before the Buddha 
trying in different ways to pass the time. In other words, is this willingness to try something new, um, not to just keep doing the same thing and continually f falling asleep, uh, try to do some prostrations. I sometimes have uh, recommended this to people uh, during, not of course during formal sitting, but at other times. I returned to my seat again. With everything arranged, I decided to surmount my drowsiness once and for all. There it is. There's the commitment. There's the vow, the intention, the determination. And then this is what he did. First, I slept for a short while with a pillow. <laughs> okay. Then with my head on my arm. Next, I dozed without lying down. For two or three nights, I struggled on in this way, feeling sleepy all day and evening. My feet seemed not to be standing on the ground, but floating in the air. Then suddenly, the dark clouds before my eyes opened. My whole body felt comfortable and light, as if I had just had a warm bath. Meanwhile, the doubt sensation in my mind, this is the... the uh, sense of perplexity, um, not doubt as skepticism, but perplexity the, with the koan, in my mind became more and more intensified. Without effort, it automatically and incessantly appeared before me. That's a really enviable stage to get in practice where it just comes on its own. Neither sounds sights nor desires and cravings could penetrate my mind. It was like the clear sky of autumn or like pure snow filling a silver cup. Then I thought to myself, this is all very well, but no one here can give me advice or resolve these things for me. Whereupon I left the monastery and went to Che Chang. So maybe there was no teacher there, no advanced practitioner, no advanced monk. On the way, I suffered great hardships so that my work was retarded. Oops, my work was impeded, let's say that. On arrival, I stayed with Master Ku Chan of Chen Tian and made a vow that I would attain enlightenment or never leave the monastery. There's the, there's the commitment again. After meditation for one month, I regained the work lost on the journey, but meanwhile, my whole body became covered with growing boils. These I ignored and st stressed my work, even to the point of disregarding my own life. In this way, I could work better and gain more improvement. Thus, I learned how to work in sickness. Okay, we're building to a climax here. One day, I was invited out for dinner. On my way, I took up the koan and worked at it, and thereby, without realizing it, I passed my host's house. Yeah, we touched on this in 
in another story yesterday in Taisho, the state of, 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 of absorption so profound uh, that you could do such a thing, just walk right past your uh, goal, your house, the house you were supposed to go to. Again, I contrasted this state of no-mindedness with mindfulness. Thus I learned how to keep up my work and activity. When I reached this state, the feeling was like the moon in the water, transparent and penetrating. Impossible to disperse or obliterate by rolling surges, it was inspiring, alive, and vivid all the time. So this really building here to quite an experience. On the 6th of March, while I was meditating on Mu, the chief monk came into the hall to burn incense, offer incense. He struck the incense box, making some noise. We can hear it, right? That sound, striking a match. Suddenly and abruptly, I realized myself and caught and defeated Zhao Zhou, Zhou Shu, and his Mu. Whereupon I composed this verse. In despair I reached the dead end of the road. I stamped upon the wave, but it was only water. Oh, that outstanding old Zhao Zhou, his face is as plain as this. stamped upon the wave, but it was only water. Waves, if you step back, you watch waves, they can seem to have this certain form to them, of course. Uh, we can describe generally the shape uh, or the functioning of a wave, but in the end, it's, it's just water, water. It's the formless. It's the formless uh, having as, assumed a certain form temporarily. Same with the body. The body appears so solid and relatively unchanging, but it's, 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 It itself is, is a certain energy in flux. In the autumn, I consulted Wan Shan who asked me, isn't the saying, the glowing light shines serenely over the river sands, a prosaic remark by that foolish scholar Chang? I was just about to answer when Master Shan shouted at me, get out! 
From that moment on, I was not interested in anything. I felt insipid and dull at all times and in all activities. See the these different stages he's encountering that he's going through. Six months passed. One day in the spring of the next year, I came back to the city from a journey. While climbing some stone steps, I suddenly felt all the doubts and obstacles that were weighing me down melt away like thawing ice. I didn't feel that I was walking the road with a physical body. Immediately, I went to see Master Sean. That's the same guy who barked at him to get out. He asked me the same question that he had put before. In answer, I just turned his bed upside down onto the ground. Thus, one by one, I understood some of the most obscure and misleading koans. Notice that even, even after all this, all of these experiences he had had, these ups and downs, he, he reached this point where he said, I was not interested in anything. I felt insipid and dull at all times and in all activities. But he persevered. He persevered. Again, the faith, the faith. There's nothing more important than faith. Faith in the method. Even to say, have faith in yourself, that introduces something that doesn't exist. You don't need faith in yourself, whatever that means, if you have faith in the practice and don't stop. And then he concludes, friends, if you want to practice Zen, you must be exceedingly earnest and vigilant. If I had not caught dysentery in Chongqing, I would probably have frittered my whole life away. That's the end of his account. I bet a lot of us can look back and, and see what finally compelled us to, to face ourselves, to take up a practice and stick with it. It usually, usually or maybe always, uh, comes out of, out of pain, suffering. Why else would we want to change? Why else would we undertake this, this demanding practice except to find our way out of suffering. And if we're not suffering, if we're pretty satisfied with ourselves and our life, then we're not likely to get serious about this. Well, suffering takes different forms. It doesn't have to be a terminal illness or it doesn't have to be uh, um, losing someone close to us, someone dying. Um, suffering can be just a... a a steady, uh, grinding kind of anxiety, uh, ongoing anxiety, that 
depression that continues to plague us. Um, just a just a frustration with life. Um, this feeling of just uh, dissatisfaction, dukkha, dukkha, dissatisfaction, suffering, unhappiness, anxiety, frustration. And it's different for different people. Some people can can go through years and years. They can go through their whole life feeling miserable, but they don't have the affinity with the Dharma or some other practice. They don't have enough, the affinity. They don't, they're, they're, they're not ripe yet to find it, to really take that step. Well, but everyone here... Everyone listening to this has. And so there is the path. We're on it. We're all on it. We're lucky. We have found the way. A way. Okay. Now we just have to keep going. Time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. <laughs> 